to the Burnout Podcast, where we discuss all things agile software development and delivery. We will be giving you an honest take on tools and techniques. We'll share our experiences, debunk myth, and hopefully provide needed inspiration. Hi, I'm Todd Anderson, Consultant Delivery Manager. I've done just about every job in IT, from tech support, programmer, network security, project and program management. I can't say I've done everything, but I've seen a lot. And I'm Marcel Bridge, digital consultant, business analyst, and product owner. I've worked in digital before this even had a name, and since have been quite a bit around the block, and this is my way of giving back to the industry. So sit back, relax, and settle in for this week's episode. to today's episode. So Marcel, fresh back from holiday. Uh, welcome back. Yeah, I'm still so chilled. I mean, I can't believe we're He's so even chilled. working. <laughs> He's like butter in the cherry, so chilled. Uh, this week's episode is going to be a, a sort of a two-part series about what if we were the ones hiring in dev talent or versus, you know, being the ones that are usually hired in to do it. So this episode is going to be focused on startups. So uh, we decided to sort of split this up in between talking about startups is kind of a different concern than a more established business. And there's definitely some overlaps and things like mm, that. Yeah. But we wanted to focus on, on these two kind of separately. I guess our, our starting point is that either organization has a problem that needs a software solution for it. And they're now having to decide how do we how do you go about fix, sol- solving that problem? Right, basically, right. right. Yeah. And, and I think startups have a different they have a different uh, concerns, right? So you're you're talking about money, you're talking about resources, you're talking about time, people, speed to market, all that market, kind of all thing, that sort of stuff. You know, that, which is different than an established business Absolutely. that has a, a long running uh, history in a in a field. Which is actually a good point, maybe to to lead to the first question. So I guess as a startup, the question is, if I don't have any software capabilities in house. Do I build those up or do I use someone else's services to solve that problem for me? Which could be buying a product, you know, it could be using a software consultancy to help you build it. So, yeah, how, how, do, you, how do you make that call? What, what determines that call? Whether, well, so, so I had started a company a number of years ago um, building software for school districts. Part of that was that I actually had the skills to be able to, to program Retrospectively, I wasn't a great programmer, but, but I did have the yeah. professional programming skills to be able to actually help create that 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 product. So yeah. part of that was, you know, I could do it. So I, I did it myself in house, and eventually we hired people on and sort of grew grew the the team organically. So we we did build in house, so to speak, through you know sweat equity and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if you don't have that experience, then you probably are going to need to pe- get people in. So, really, it's a question of how much do you know about developing software. So, that's one definitely one factor because you can't manage. I guess it's the same in any industry. It's very hard. You know, I don't know who said it, but some, some famous CEO said shoe shops should be run by shoemakers. So, if you don't know anything about the domain, then, you know, it's very hard to manage those people. That's one, one thing. The other thing for me is how mission critical is whatever you're building for your organization. So if you are setting up um, a business, a friend of mine has set up a business uh, producing vegan cheese. 
So he will want to control a lot of the core processes around producing that cheese and aging that cheese. That he should have in-house. And if that was software related, he should build that software, he should own that software. But if, for instance, he's looking at finance or logistics software, I wouldn't suggest that he should ever build that because there are solutions out there in the yeah. market where you have Quick, someone else. QuickBooks or whatever, you know, you get... Correct. Yeah. Um, so I think there is these two kind of things. So the first, as you said, the first question is, can I even, can I get this, man can I manage this in-house? Can I get this done in-house? And the other question is, how mission critical is that thing for me? If I'm, if, if it turns, because I think a lot of organizations miss the point that they are actually in the software business. They think they're a, a bank or an insurance, whatever, whereas actually they're a software, software business because everything they do, their entire supply chain is software and then they should really have those skills in-house. So following from what I've just said, I think there are actually two models that are really helpful. So one was an article I read earlier today, super famous. Uh, it's an article called uh, Marketing Myopia. I will link to it in the show notes uh, from the 60s, I believe, where they talk about you need to understand as a business what business you are actually in. Famous example is the American Railroads thinking they were in the railroad business and then suddenly lost all their business to uh, the car coming along. So what they were actually in was the transportation business, which shifts your focus, right? So, so that's one thing to understand that. And the other thing we spoke about earlier today was, uh, is a tool called uh, Wardley Map by, again, we'll link to it by a guy called Simon Wardley, where you uh, look at the various uh, capabilities across your business you need uh, to support your value or your supply chain, and then you uh, categorize those various capabilities by whether they're commodities or whether they are something that requires R&D and how important they are for your business. And if it's a commodity and it's not important for your business in the sense that, you know, it's example is he, he always gives us electricity. It's very important for your business and you need it, it's a commodity. You'll just buy that in long term from an existing supplier. You don't build your own power plant unless possibly you're a steel manufacturing plant then electricity becomes really important for you, then you'll build your own power plant. But a normal business wouldn't do that. You know, okay, so if you have the experience of, of being, having development experience, then I think it's a lot easier for you to go out and try to source a supplier or build your own team yes. and whatnot. Because you know what good looks like, right? Yeah, you know what good looks like, yes. you've done it before or whatever. If, if, you, if you've never developed software or have very little experience around that, I think you'd be probably best advised to get some help or, or find a trusted confidant that has actually done it before because um, it's really hard to get it right unless you've done it before. And I, I guess that's probably true of any anything that you do, right? You yeah. build a house or whatever, you have no idea, you know, what the effort is, it takes unless you you are a builder you and you've done it before. If you build a house, you don't, in most cases, you wouldn't source individual contractors. You get an entire company to you know, pull the, the bricklayer and the plumber and everything together, I guess. And right. that's the same thing, thing in our example. I mean, this is an interesting one. Maybe another question I think I had is following from that, what's the right size company? So do you go to the really heavy hitters as a startup? Do you go to the Accenture, the Capgeminis? Or do you go to Fred in the Shed? And or is there a happy medium? Because I think both of them, are, I personally think, are not right for a startup. Fred in the Shed might not give you what you need in the long term. You might just do some very dodgy, shitty, dirty job. That doesn't allow you to grow. The big consultancies won't give you the attention you need, and they'll be shitty expensive. I yeah. Don't, I don't I, know. Well, again, if I were the if I were the customer, I think I would be going a little bit above friend in the shed. I wouldn't be. I definitely wouldn't be going large supplier. Yes. Because that's you're just paying for stuff that you, a you probably can't afford, and, and, and b it's just it's it's just too much. I, yes. I think you want that. You're going to want a small, intimate development team. 
and you're going to want people with a little bit of sort of skin in the game, a little bit of personalization. You know, you don't want just some faceless contractor coming in and then rotating off in six months, replaced by another. You want somebody that's going to stick around, a little bit of relationship there. I think you get that with a smaller supplier. Yes. Yes. And I think the so, so what does that mean? That means that you need to find a way to source a small supplier so you have confidence that you trust them. Yes. And, and you know, you think they know what they're talking about. Um, you know, rather than just getting, you know, the, 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 the man in the van type thing and just having to be at their whim, right? Exactly. I mean, this is interesting because you then, you just kind of alluded to this, you then want to build a good relationship with them because I think there is a bit of a, of a risk that if the company, your supplier is too large or if you have the wrong approach, you think you can just throw this over the fence and after six months you'll get some perfect software back. But what you want is you want a very close relationship with your software supplier and you want that relationship on a maybe day-to-day, -day, not daily basis, maybe, it depends on the, on the type of product. But I think with, a, with, with the right size company that matches maybe your organization size or slightly larger, you can have those relationships, right? Whereas, a, as, again, like a massively big supplier, if you went as a little startup to IBM, you just they wouldn't have the interest in you as an individual. They, they just don't. They, they work with other big organizations. And that would, I guess, compromise in some of the values we think are important. Right. Um, so so what what... Like, what sort of questions would you ask a supplier to try to weed out, you know, a good match size thing? I think I would look at how they... So if, if I could talk to them, I would certainly look at how they approach me as a customer. And, you know, if you, if, if you for instance, give, write out a tender document, there, there should be something in there that is personal to me. If I think I get a one-size-fits-all response back, that means that I'm that they do this with everyone, and and it just doesn't, you know, there is no per there won't be a personal relationship. At the same time, I think if they are too custom-specific and they are pushing me into something which I might not be able to afford, then that's also not right. So so it's this kind of happy. I think they need to understand you as a business, and I think that that's I think maybe the the key thing for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're. Yeah, I think there's a few things you want to look at. You want to look at the size of the organization. Like, yep. you definitely don't want it to be, you know, some guy gets sick and then suddenly you, you're, you're dining <laughs> tools or or whatever. Yeah, you want you want it to be just big enough so maybe somebody else can step in and, and cover or at least you can keep going forward. I think you want you want some confidence that they know what they're talking about. Yes. You know, and I'm not just talking about necessarily dropping buzzwords in there because, you know, again, depending on what your level of experience is, you know, you, you might just see a buzzword and it'll gloss over you or you Google it mm -hmm. or whatever. But I think you want to be able to say, like, okay, maybe their, their, their initial proposal might actually be a very simple one. Mm -hmm. And down the road, you know, they're yes. going to give me a more scalable solution and things like that. I think that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, hey, you're small. You have this much money, this much resources. What's important to focus on right now? You know... From technology choices, uh, what things you, you know do you not want to compromise on, you know, and actually invest a little bit up front, and then what things can you defer down the road and invest more in the future? So an example of that would be like we want to make sure that we have a really good delivery pipeline early on because we want to get things out quickly and we want to invest in that, and but we want to do that in a lightweight way, you know, initially. Yes. And then maybe down the road, you might have a full-blown suite of, like, you know, all sorts of monitoring and, and, and automation and things like that. And I think that's what you want to see from a supplier, that they, they understand your need, that they get what you're talking about, mm -hmm. and that they're proposing a solution that, that is aware of that. I think there's a really interesting point in there as well that just crossed my mind around, 
Um, if they tell you that you have the full scalable, fully extensible thing from day one, that would raise red flags, I think. And I say something controversial now. I don't think actually the technology choice is that relevant initially. There are some cases where it, of course, matters. But generally speaking, as an example, if you use Java or .NET initially, it doesn't really make a big difference. What does matter is that you don't close options too early, I think. So, for instance, you don't want to choose esoteric programming languages um, where you get locked in and you can't move on to another, another supplier because no one knows how to how to work on your on your solution. But really what it is about is to find the right technology choice for the specific moment in time. Um, if this means going with something that's maybe less enterprise but allows you to do something more quickly and more cheaply to explore options, that is totally fine. I think that's actually the right approach. What you want to see is um, some ideas, some strategy to transition from the current state to the future state. I think that's the important thing. How do they keep options open for you? How do, how do they allow you to be flexible? And then you don't have to be flexible, fully flexible. But in, in day one, you don't have to cater for everything. You can be quite narrow, but you know you're not closing doors early on. And I think that's maybe the important thing. So as you say, how do they, do, can they show that they understand you're a small business now and you want to grow and they support you in that going forwards? So I think that, that's, for me, maybe the most important thing. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about trying to select a supplier. You know, I, I am a fan of keeping teams small. Yeah. Like, like, it's just so much more efficient and whatnot. And you, you, if, once you have, the, again, that intimate communication chain, that's, re that's really important. Let's talk a little bit about, like, the values. You know, what sort of values do you want to instill as a startup? How, how do you maintain values? How do you define values? I think, again, as a startup, most startups will have similar values in the sense that you need to get something out early. You will have cash flow problems, right, as a startup. That's just, most startups have that. You will want to use a test stuff early. You, you will form a hypothesis. You want to make sure that that is valid. So, again, it's, it's all about getting things out early that you can put in front of real people and, you know, can then develop onwards from that. So that, again, means that the supplier needs to understand that that is the way, the way they should be working rather than you handing over a massive requirements document they deliver against it and then you find out that half the stuff you asked for isn't actually needed. And they should actually push you for that as well. They should say, you know what, we think you don't need half of that stuff. Let us give you an MVP, which is maybe a bit smaller than what you asked for. I think that would be a really good, good way to assess a, an honest supplier, I think. Another advantage that you have as a small company is that you're, you can take risks, right? Because you don't have all this huge investment in, in some sort of, you know, reputation or, or infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. So you actually can take some really stick your neck out there and take risks. And there's actually kind of a sweetheart period where, you know, you're new, you're fresh. It's like fail early, take some risks, stick your neck out there. That's, that's where you're going to get that differentiation. That's where you're going to be able to work quickly and agilely. And, and, and I think that's a really good value to maintain long term. And, you know, in regards to this, again, selecting your supplier, I think a good supplier would maybe as part of a pitch response say, you know what, these things we think you should go with a safe option and or maybe the out-of-the-box option because we know that's a solved problem, don't reinvent the wheel. However, here is where the value is for you, Todd. Therefore, we suggest this, and we're not 100% sure this is right, but if it's not right, there is another strategy we can pivot to. And I think that's the interesting things where, where a supplier can add a lot of value. And if they come up with these things in the early discussions, that will pinpoint the good suppliers from the maybe not so good suppliers or the ones that, that understand your business and you should go with, I think. Yeah, so having that no-blame culture, having that fail early, you know, take yes. a risk, that's really important as a startup, I think. 
team shape, working lean, focused. Don't try to like boil the ocean up front. Yes, get, get small prototypes out there early, quickly, and get stuff in front ah, of people. Prototype, you just said they're super important. I think it's that, that it's very relevant that you choose a software supplier who does understand the user and cares about user experience design. If you go to um, just a software house where you know people just code. I think that's that's the wrong approach for a startup. I think you want an organization that cares about delivering value to an end user and, and understands the needs and the gains and the pains these users have and feeds that into their delivery and, and solution design approach. I think that is very, very important. Um, and on the other hand, however, I'm not sure whether you've come across this, but I've seen cases where consultancies came to a little business and said, whoa, hang on, we think your entire, your entire thinking is wrong. We help you redefine your business. We do some six months, 12 months long research. I think that's, of course, wrong as well, right? I mean, you, you don't want them to tell you how to suck eggs. This is, this is the kind of the opposite extreme. So I think, again, you need this, this balance line between them providing the research and the strategic thinking that's right for you without overthinking and not doing any. I think it's this kind of middle line. Yeah, it? yeah. Yeah, so you, you want to be able to get things out not too much out, but you want to be able to get things out quickly, release frequently. Correct. I, I, there's always this, this also a sort of conflict too, and, and again, I think user user research can help solve this problem. But you know, you're trying to get things out quickly. You're you're maybe neglecting some technical things. You're building up some technical debt. How much technical debt? I wonder is is <laughs> yeah. is enough because you're you're going to build up technical debt as a startup. That's fair because you're okay. focused on features. You're like, yes. get it out there, get in front of people. We need to make the next sale. We need to appease the the next big client, and 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 that's the reality of it, right? And and that's that's okay. It's okay to do that. But then, at what point do you build up too much technical debt? You know, I think that's I think it's okay to build up some technical debt, but. At some point, you're going to want to start thinking about scaling, right? You're going to have, and, and at that point is when you're going to have to start thinking about paying that technical debt. This is a good point in terms of, you know, if a supplier comes in and suggests to you a fully-fledged microservices architecture as a startup initially, I would possibly be a bit careful because it's, I think it's very valid in a number of cases to start with a monolithic application as a startup. Oh, yeah. But what you would want to see is that you can say, look, if this is really successful, can you demonstrate to me briefly how we would decouple that in the future into microservices? So this is, again, them just showing that they have thought this through, that yes, we'll incur code debt, yes, we'll, 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 we'll create a spaghetti mess maybe initially, but there is some thinking of how we can then decouple this at later stages if it becomes relevant. And again, that will show you whether a supplier is maybe you know, thinking a little bit more future-oriented uh, and also is, is a long-term supplier. Right, right, because I think when you're a startup, it's really easy to get into the day-to-day -day weeds of like, this is the next feature we're getting out, and the next thing we get out, we got to get this out the door. But you really need to build in that space to be able to look at that higher-level release and having some checkpoints in every month, every two months, whatever, to say, okay, you know, when do we need to start paying this type of debt back? Actually asking your, your supplier or your team that. So that's really important to, to get that you know, it's really good to have face-to-face -face communication with the developers because yes, that's really. that's when you can have those conversations. Do and you think how important do you think that is as a startup? Because as you said, you may not know much about software development. Do you do you still think if you are the domain experts at, again producing vegan cheese or whatever it is, uh, should you still talk to developers? Oh yeah, I, it's, okay. it's so Agreed. well. It's really critical because they they're they're the people who are co-creating the, the the domain really. 
you know, they need to understand the domain from you as a developer to try to make proper technical decisions and architectural decisions and the, the little micro decisions they're making throughout mm -hmm. the day. But, but they're also testing you and, and sort of like saying, okay, well, maybe I don't quite understand how this works. And then you have to think, oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah, maybe I do need to rethink that a little bit because there's this exceptional case. So you want a bit of a partnership, right? You want them to care about your domain as well, not just about writing beautiful classes and functions, right? You want them to... Yes, you want them to be problem solvers, right? And, the, and, the, yes. and again, as far as criteria for people that you want to partner with, you don't just want somebody that's going to be heads down coding, drinking Mountain Dew in the corner. You want them to be sort of actively sort of like asking questions and saying, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, last, last week we did this bit, you know, how does that fit with this piece, you know, over here? Here's an interesting question. Uh -huh. Onshore or offshore for a startup? <laughs> um, Let me say it like this. You want to be close to the supplier. The reason is that, especially as a startup, you are most likely working with smaller organizations, be this because they give you the attention you need or because they're cheaper. But on the other hand, because of that, quite often, you end up partnering with organizations that are themselves growing and maybe not that experienced. So I've seen this a number of times where uh, friends with startup businesses uh, were looking for very small web agencies to build them e-commerce websites. And literally every single one of them has taken has been taken a bit for a ride. And that's not necessarily in bad faith. What happens is that these, these little agencies, they're new, they overextend themselves, they overpromise. Um, they don't sometimes understand that you as a startup are a difficult client because you are not that clear about what you need and your requirements change. And um, quite often also I've seen them choose very esoteric technologies. And so, so what you want to do is you want to be really, really close to your early suppliers just to make sure you're getting the right thing. Now that closeness is much easier achieved if you are in the same city. Um, and of course this becomes more and more important the more mission critical the, the solution you're building for, for your business is. In regards to skill, I think it doesn't matter. My gut feel for a startup would be to select someone onshore, I think, purely because of communication. Yeah, I, I think I think initially I would onshore because you want to have like a co-located, like really tight-knit team. And yeah, okay, you can do that over Skype. I mean, even if you're in the same city, that might happen because it's likely you might not even have an office space. You know, a lot of uh, startups I've worked with are actually virtual startups. So, you know, you, you don't actually have a physical space, so you're talking over Skype anyways. But... I wouldn't go offshore unless I actually knew the people or, or I had some sort of trust chain there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's awesome people that work offshore. Like, you know, it's dependent on who, what you know and, and what level of, um, you know, again, where, where you're at in the development. I mean, you're right in the sense, if I look at the startups my friends have, I, they, they all have a bit of a problem that they are quite full for some, some years even building culture up, right? Uh, storming, forming, all those kinds of processes you go through as a team. Now, if you have that problem or that challenge in your organization already for your core processes, and then you add another level of that complexity for some software delivery you do, that could just kill you as a team because you're just having too much volatility in the organization. So, to your point, if you have face-to-face -face contact with the software delivery teams and have them close by, that may reduce that, that challenge. So that is a fair point to think about, I think. Yeah, and then as far as delivery goes, I mean, whether it's on or offshore, I think it's really important to really stay on top of the status of the project, about yeah. what, you know, again, the sort of daily, you know, interaction with the developers or keeping your hands on the on the steering wheel because, 
you don't want to just outsource that to the delivery team. You just don't want to throw it over the wall and say, build me, you know, widget X and then trust them to come back three weeks later and do it. I think you really want to sort of like test them. Long term, you want to build up trust. But at first, you know, there's a stage of doing that. So you want you might not trust them initially because in a healthy way, you want to make sure that they are actually delivering what it is that you're asking for that things are actually on track, and then over the long term, you build up that trust. You want to stay closer initially and then let go, rather what a lot of companies do, I think, is the other way around. So they let go too much initially, they don't care, and then when the problems start to happen, they put the company, the supplier, on a leash, and I think this is the totally wrong way of, of going about it, definitely. I mean, this is also an interesting one. What do you think about potential contract length and stuff? Because I feel from what you've just said, it would be, good to have a slightly more short-term engagement with them, maybe have a small exemplar project where you can test the supplier. Because the supplier might not work for you. That doesn't necessarily mean the supplier is a shit company. It might just not work for cultural reasons or whatever it is. Um, so maybe having something where you can test the waters with them and then see whether that works and then yeah. form a longer-term relationship, you know? Absolutely. I think, yeah, short-term pieces of work, keep the risk low on both sides. They might not like what you're doing either. No, like, totally. Like, again, you want somebody that's bought in to what it is your, your, your venture is. Yeah. Beyond just writing code, right? Like, yes. you want somebody bought into the, you know, hey, what we're building is really neat here. Let's, let's build it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So let's talk a little bit about financing for a startup. So... You know, there's always a classic bootstrap versus getting investment or angel mm. investment or something like that. I mean, again, if I were the customer, I'm pro bootstrapping. I, I think I'm. That's that maybe say more about the mentality that I have, which is I'm a kind of grinded out kind of guy. I'd rather be the one, you know, burning midnight oil trying to do the thing rather than paying someone else to do it. Um, but you know, it, 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 I, I, because my perception is that if I'm the one you know, bootstrapping it, then I'm not giving away control. Uh, uh, I was just about to say, it's, it's less about the money, I think it is about what comes with getting investment, is that you lose control to a certain degree, right? Because you don't just get the money for nothing, and then you suddenly can't make the decisions you think you want to make on your own. But I think it's not just... So the bootstrapping also then ripples down in terms of your approach to technology bootstrapping, in the sense that, you know, you maybe go initially with a slightly cheaper solutions rather than buy into the full big thing. And that, again, is the right approach because you test things out and you can, something that's cheaper, maybe as a service you buy in rather than building your own product, you can change that more yeah, quickly. Yeah, right? but you got to be aware of lock-in. You don't want to do make a technical choice or choose a vendor that's going to lock you into something that, is totally that, true. that you won't be able to pivot away from, like you mentioned before. So, so you don't want to... It's like giving up control and whatnot. You want to do it for a reason, right? Like if you're growing Perfect. and you're going yes. to give away some equity or whatever, you want to make sure there's a reason for doing that, not just for the sake of it. You want to say, okay, I'm giving a little bit of something away, but I'm getting this in return. I might be getting a capability or a skill or contacts or opening doors that I couldn't open on my own. But you want to just make sure the the value that you're giving away and the control that you're giving away is commiserate with 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 what you think you're getting for it. I think one thing I want to say when we talk about financing is that in the software industry, like everywhere else, I think you ultimately get a little bit what you pay for. So if you go for someone who's super cheap, very likely you'll be getting not the same quality as if you pay for someone who's very expensive. However, there is the other side of the coin as well, that if you go to the very big suppliers who are very expensive, you are of course paying for the overheads and for the brand name. So 
I think what you should be opting for in the early stages is something in the middle or a bit below the middle. You don't have to go to, but don't go to either extreme because if you if you buy, and we see this, there is very cheap. Uh, you buy for value, not not necessarily. Yeah. For, don't go for cost. That that yeah. would be the wrong thing. And and we see this all the time that we get undercut by other suppliers, and we are already quite sometimes quite reasonably priced. And there's always someone who's cheaper, and we get pushed to to to, to lower prices. And at some point, you, you're just like, well. If you buy cheap, the output will be cheap as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Totally. So, so to sum this up, I'd like to have a little discussion too about the entrepreneurial uh, mindset because mm-hmm. having, like I said, been someone that started a business, like you really need to have this mindset of being of of you. You have to believe in what it is you're building, right? And you have to yes. be willing to spend a lot of time. Like I always make a joke of like. Yeah, you know, you're entrepreneurial, you're your own boss, you can work whatever time you want. Whatever 23 hours in the day you want to work, it's up to you, <laughs> you know. But it's still going to be a big investment of time and energy and focus. And I think I wouldn't even start a startup if, if I didn't have that spirit and that excitement and that drive. Because when you talk to the better uh, sort of entrepreneurs, they, they, they're... They're going to infect other people. They're going to affect the rest of the team with their excitement, and 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 it's really energizing when you're when you're part of that team building that new thing that nobody's ever done before. You know, it's great. I, I have a lot of friends who set up startup businesses, and they read the whatever Harris's Four Hour Week book or whatever it is. You know, the thing where you have this great idea, and then for the rest of your life, you'll only work four hours a week. All of these guys work at least hundred hour weeks. None of them has We're ever mentioned Ferris. 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 Yes, yes, yes right, yeah. exactly. And, and I think. The, the, you know, as you say, when you set up a business, you need to be fully behind it because especially in the early stages, you will be so involved, you won't, you won't believe, right? And I think the important thing with software delivery is that you need to care about that as well. You can't just, don't believe, there is, there's just nothing in a business that you need that you can totally let go of. You always have to be on top of everything. Um, and that also means that if you get better suppliers in, you have a little bit of a headache, I think. Um, so to your point, you will spend a lot of time on it, but make your choices wisely because if you get a software supplier that's cheap, but is a pain in the ass, then you just add more time onto your already heavily loaded schedule to, uh, kick and, 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 and shout at that, su- kick that supplier and shout at supplier or, every or, or you're going to be sitting there fixing bugs. <laughs> You know, trying to deal with the early customer issues because, you know, yes. your supplier is building low, lower quality software. And then suddenly, like you say, that, that just compounds your time problem. Oh, there's one thing we haven't talked about this, but I really want to talk about that is, you know, we say, uh, the company we work with at the moment, we say, uh, we build it, we operate it. Okay. And I think that is something maybe you really want from a supplier as well, that they give you um, some reassurance that... They are not only building something and throwing it over the fence, but they are building something which they are happy to operate and maintain because that it takes the stress away from you, but you also know you'll be- get better quality because if they build shitty software, they are on the receiving end of that. Yeah, they're going to be woken up in the night. They're, yeah, so you want them to eat their own dog food, as, as they say in the business, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, hopefully people get out there, start a business. Don't be afraid. Take some risks. The world needs more awesome stuff. And... I, I think you know any company these days. It doesn't matter what domain you're in. You're you're a software company. So there's always a component <laughs> of software. There's always absolutely. a component of software. Yeah. Uh, even if you think you're doing something else, um, you're a software company. So keep that in mind and good luck. Yeah.
that's it for today's episode. Have a look at our show notes with related information and details on how to get in touch at thebarnup.com. We are listener-driven, so please do send us your questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. We're both practitioners and are happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit burnupmedia.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license, which means you can share it as long as you give credit, but you cannot change it or make money of it. Until next time, thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.